Our Father, we're thankful tonight for just your presence among us. We just uh, praise you for that. We think of our brother Russ as he will be traveling uh, later on this week. We ask, Father, that you'd watch over him with your very special care and give him journey mercies, Father, and uh, help him to accomplish the work that you've given for him out there, Father. We know that, that his company is sending him there, but in a very special way, you're sending him there too. So perhaps there's some very special person out there that needs a witness of a of a Christian, and we just ask that Russ would be alert to that and be ready and uh, to give an answer for the hope that's in him. We know that he can do that, and we know that uh, given an opportunity, he will uh, uh, bring forth a gospel message. We thank you very, very much for that. We pray for Rowena as well, as she would be home alone, and ask that you'd watch over her and watch care her as well, and then give them a joyous time as they meet together in, in Hawaii for a few days' vacation. Thank you for that, Father, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, number three would be redemption. Last time uh, Paul finished up on um, reconciliation, showing us uh, the need for that that each one of us has uh, as a result of the fall, I thought in terms of redemption, maybe the first thing I would do is look at what a, what a regular dictionary might tell us about it. And there are several different facets uh, looking up two words, uh, both of which appear in our English Bibles with quite a bit of frequency. The first word that I looked up was redeemed, and the the Funk and Wagnalls Dictionary gives us about uh, six different facets of this word. Uh, The first one would be uh, to regain possession of something by uh, paying a price to recover something. Um, And we can maybe think of that uh, in terms of if we buy a home or if we buy a loaf of bread. Um, uh, maybe more particularly, though, in the concept of regaining it would be something that uh, had been ours before. Maybe uh, we had put it into a pawn shop for a loan or something, and we went and reclaimed it with paying off that, that price. Uh, it is to pay off uh, for something, uh, uh, to satisfy the the value of something uh, in our in our business of exchange uh, of of goods and services, uh, it also can mean to set free. Um, there's a sense, I suppose, in our national history that when President Lincoln uh, signed the uh, Emancipation Emancipation Proclamation, uh, that he redeemed the slaves in a sense, the people that were were slaves as he turned them turned them loose, um, although there was no, no financial involvement whatsoever. Um, and in fact, the Funk and Wagnalls definition would not even superimpose that on it, is to be set free uh, or to rescue. Uh, then at each one of these words, both redeem and redemption, have a theological aspect, interestingly enough, that the, that the secular dictionary would use for us. Uh, and probably true to the biblical concept and even the New Testament concept, uh, redeem is to res- rescue from sin and its penalties, uh, according to Funk and Wagnalls. And we'll see that that's certainly a very real part of it. Um, another definition of redeem is to fulfill as an oath or a promise um, or to make amends for to compensate for, 
Um, and there's a real sense, and we'll see as, as the evening uh, goes forward here, that there's a real sense that every part, every one of those things, that there's a there's a a touch on one of the uses of the word in Scripture. Uh, that is that it that it sometimes talks about regaining possession. It often tells us in our English Bibles that Christ bought us, uh, so He regained possession of us in that sense as believers in Him. Uh, so redemption then has four separate aspects, one again which is theological, uh, meaning salvation from sin through the atonement of Christ. And that's very, very, very pointed uh, from our regular dictionary. Then it may be called an act of redeeming or a state of being redeemed, um, or a recovery of what is mortgaged or pledged. since our home is mortgaged, I suppose there's a sense in which we are going through a redemption of our home. Uh, it is indeed mortgaged, as I think most are. Uh, hopefully one day it will no longer be mortgaged, but uh, that's a few years down the way. Uh, it can be a payment of a debt or an obligation, specifically the paying of the value of its notes, warrants, etc., by a government. But in the case of, again, in the case of of our view of it from Scripture, each one of those four has a special special concept to it, uh, a payment of a debt or an obligation. Obviously, the redemption of Christ on our behalf was a payment of a debt, which we owed, which we could not not repay. Um, So it's a very, very uh, broad-meaning word and one which... um, we hope to see uh, the application in our in our life as believers. This thing wants to fall down on me all the time. And I think to really get a backdrop of this, we need to look at um, the Old Testament concept of redemption. And we'll start by doing that and spend some time here on it. Um, the best place that we will find a, an example of this is in the book of Ruth, and we'll turn there. Uh, in a few moments. The Hebrew word is ga'al, G-A-A-L, which identifies someone who had the right to redeem. Uh, If I, as an Israelite, uh, were sold into bondage or delivered myself to slavery because of some indebtedness, the provision was made for me to... uh, I could be set free. Uh, it was through the redemption of a close relative. Uh, if we look at Ruth, we find that uh, a good picture of that. Um, this redemption was through what is called in the Old Testament a kinsman re- redeemer, and it always had to be the closest relative of the person involved. Uh, Ruth, of course, is a wonderful, wonderful love story uh, of Ruth and Boaz, but it also uh, documents thoroughly uh, for us, uh, this this whole business of the kinsman redeemer. So let's look at Ruth now for uh, a few moments. And there were four four particular things that were involved in this kinsman redeemer. The first one uh, is that he had to be a kinsman or a relative of the of the slave. Um, 
not just anybody could redeem. In other words, uh, if we were in that situation today and I was the slave uh, in the concept of a kinsman redeemer, George would not be able to redeem me because we're not related except back at Adam, I think. And I assure you that we're related at that point. Uh, but it wouldn't be possible for him to, uh, to do that, um, to redeem me in that kinsman redeemer sense. Uh, he may want to do that. As a matter of fact, uh, I think I know George well enough that he would he would desire to do that very much. But it, but it's the right of a kinsman. It would have to be, uh, in my case, I, I guess it would have to be either be my sister, or my mother, uh, or some close cousin or uh, or parent of a cousin or something that would be eligible to do that. Uh, my family, after my parents' generation, has become very, very small. I think the uh, most of the uh, people of that of that age, of the age of my parents, and in their generation, had not more than a couple of children. Uh, I could maybe identify one that had three, uh, but not many more than than one or two of the families that had three children. So there aren't many that I could call on. Uh, to, uh, to be a kinsman redeemer for me. Um, Boaz was able to, to redeem Ruth because he was uh, a, near, a near kinsman to him. There was a, a relationship there. <coughs> and we can see that in a very real sense that Christ is a kinsman of ours in that he was born of the virgin and he, he was fully man when he was walking here on earth and so he is a, a kinsman to all of us in that sense uh, and he is as the word tells us became flesh and dwelt among us the second thing that the kinsman redeemer must, must uh, do is he must have the redemptive price uh, if, if there's remaining uh, if we're looking at the at the price of uh, of purchasing a slave, if the price of the slave is ten thousand dollars, it's obvious that the kinsman redeemer must have the ten thousand dollars to pay the the redemptive price. He must be able to to redeem. Uh, it would be foolish for me to try to uh, redeem my son, for example. Uh, if there was a, a price of ten thousand dollars, and I didn't have that money available to to redeem him, in in that sense, uh, so that's a, a crucial uh, aspect of the thing. Now Boaz discovered that Ruth had an even closer kinsman, uh, and that closer kinsman, the closest relative, always has. The first, uh, the first option to redeem, always and invariably. Um, but he determined, and we'll read that passage. Uh, he determined that he was not going to uh, to redeem. In in Ruth four, uh, we'll read maybe the first uh, uh, six verses or so maybe seven, says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. This would be Ruth's nearer kinsman. 
so this uh, fellow was passing by, and he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. So you've got a meeting of twelve men, uh, one of whom was Boaz, uh, ten elders of the city, and the nearer kinsman uh, of uh, Ruth's. And then he said to the closest relative, that is, that nearer kinsman, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And then the kinsman, the nearer kinsman redeemer said, I will redeem it. And after Boaz had told him of this option and everything, and he said, I'm going to exercise the option. I will redeem this land. Then Boaz said in verse 5, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up a name for the deceased on his inheritance. And the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right to redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the, choice, the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. And that was the seal of the deal. That was the signature on the, on the contract. Uh, you know, we go out to buy our home and we sign a bunch of papers, but there's one of those that's a contract with a mortgage company that says, I agree to pay you X amount of dollars per month for X number of years. And that's what he was doing. That was the, that was the contract that he had agreed to, uh, to do. It's interesting to note that this nearer kinsman said, I'm going to buy the land. I'll redeem the land. But when he found out that that wasn't the whole package of the deal, that he was going to have to marry this widow woman named Ruth, he said, whoops, no way. Because you see, what what happened in Israel in those days is that the redeemer uh, would be a, a close kinsman. In other words, preferably a brother, in the, in the case of a, of a widowed woman, preferably a brother of her husband that would marry her, and particularly if there were no children, and then he would become the father of the children so that the name would continue. Um, and then the inheritance would go to the children. And this guy, maybe, and I don't think we could be dogmatic at all, but maybe he was saying, if I buy the land, it's mine, and that'd be great because I'll get a, I'll, you know, there'll be a, a fair price for it and all and everything. Uh, but when he was found, he was going to have to buy the land and marry the widow. Then the land no longer is his, and he may have had second reservations. But it appears that he had the the money for the land to do the to do the redemption. But he said, I'm not about to to marry this widow woman. <coughs> But then Boaz came forward, as he said. Uh, He not only was related properly to Ruth, but he had the price of the redemption. 
And, of course, Christ had a satisfactory price for, for our redemption as well. In Acts 20, 28, it says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church which he hath purchased, that is, Christ, uh, with his own blood. So that he made that purchase for us. He paid that, that price. Because Jesus Christ was the eternal Son of God, his blood was of infinite worth and adequate to cover that. Then in 1 Peter 8, uh, 1, 18 and 19, it says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your own vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, then thirdly, that law of the kinsman redeemer is he must be willing to redeem. The one who had the priority to redeem Ruth uh, in that case was not willing to do so. He did not uh, in any way want to assume the responsibility to redeem her. He didn't mind buy, buying a land for whatever purpose, but he was not about to pay the uh, uh, the responsibility and assume the responsibilities that were required in terms of the marriage. And therefore, he was disqualified to, uh, to do that. Boaz, on the other hand, was related, and he was able, but he had that third thing. He was willing to do that. He was willing to make that commitment. And why? Well, because he loved Ruth. Um, that's spelled out in other parts of the book there. And we see, too, that Christ's love motivated him to redeem man. <clears throat> Having loved his disciples, he loved them to the very end. And we're told in Scripture as well that he came to seek and to save the lost. That was his purpose, was to come to, to find those lost ones. He came also to do his Father's will. Then the fourth aspect of this matter of the kinsman redeemer, <clears throat> to redeem one, the redeemer must be free. Boaz was a free man and therefore qualified in that fourth aspect to redeem Ruth so that the redemption package, as it were, if you will, is complete in Boaz just as it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in John 8, 32 through 36, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They, they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whoever committeth, committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We were born slaves to sin. Because we were born in sin. Psalm 51 tells us that very, very clearly. Uh, when David was, uh, was repenting and all, uh, went through all of that and, and uh, confirmed that uh, he was even conceived in sin 
and that is the old sin nature was involved. It's not that his mother was sinning with some other man, but rather that it was the old sin nature. But Christ was born free because he was without sin. He had the virgin birth. He did not have an earthly father, as we know. And that made him qualified in that respect uh, without, without sin. So... That kind of gives us the Old Testament background of the thing with Ruth and making a comparison with the Lord Jesus and seeing that not only was Boaz fully qualified in all four of those characteristics of the kinsman redeemer, but so was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in terms of um, the uh, Greek words that are associated in the New Testament with redemption, we find these words translated as redeem or redeemed uh, re- redeemedest, redeemer, redeemeth, redeeming, or redemption. They're all in that ilk. There is the use of one of the words, and I think we'll see it in a few moments, that is translated bought, uh, where you are bought with a price. Um, I think First Peter was one of those. First uh, Peter 1.18, I think, uh, uses that word bought uh, in, the, in the English. The King James for sure says that. I've got New American Standard, and it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things. But I think the King James said, you were bought. You were not bought with perishable things. (coughs) There are actually six words that are translated either as redeemed or bought or some other form of redemption, that sort of thing. Um, some of them are used a great number of times others are used very very infrequently the word that is used most most often is agorazo a-g-o-r-a-z-o which is used some 31 times means to buy in a marketplace or to purchase in a marketplace for a full price and the the aspects of that are just, to me, mind-boggling uh, in terms of, of applying the, the full price aspect of it. He paid the full price in his own shed blood, did the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, um, verse 20, we see the word translated bought. For you have been bought with a price, therefore, therefore glorify God in your body. Um, speaks again of a, of a full price in a marketplace. Um, he wasn't coming in and trying to bargain um, for our redemption at some special uh, cut rate price or looking for some way out or something else. But it tells us in Philippians 2... And the eighth verse, he says, And being found in appearance as a man, he, that is Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to point to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, he was willing to do that. He was willing to pay what I remember my dad saying so often as he was 
trying to explain to me as a little boy growing up capital punishment and whatnot and trying to identify those things that people do that cause that to happen or in those days cause that to happen. Um, he would call that the supreme penalty uh, that uh, I could commit a crime perfectly capable of committing a crime that would result in my having to pay a supreme penalty for that crime, which is to give my life. There is nothing more expensive on a human realm, I think, than to give our lives. And so Christ was more than, more than willing to do that because he was obedient to his Father. In 1 Corinthians 7.23, again, we're told that you are bought with a price. Do not become the slaves of men. Um, the idea there, again and again, and that use of that word when it's uh, when it is used, is that it's in a in an aorist tense, which means at a point in time. So that there was a point in time at which um, I was bought. Um, and it's a passive act. That is, somebody else did it for me, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, and I get the benefit of it. Uh, amazing uh, concept to to grab hold of is that that he has done that on our behalf. <clears throat> then there's another word that is used much less frequency, only ten times within the scripture. Uh, Apollotrosis, A P O L U T R O S I S. If you're spelling it out. A buying back, or again, redemption, a release or deliverance of the payment of a price. And it's all got that concept in of it. It's the payment of a price. It's not a, something that's taken, taken lightly. It comes from two words, apo, which is a, a preposition that means from or away from. So there's a purchase priced out of or, or away from something. Um, and another word that is used as a loosener, lutron, L-U-T-R-O-N. That's a loosener, <clears throat> a ransom. Uh, to loose or to set free or to dissolve or to forgive. And all of those things, we can see a facet of it in our, in our salvation because we are set free from the bondage of sin. Uh, that slave capturing that we have in terms of sin is, is dissolved. We are forgiven. And so many, many facets there that, that uh, just reach right to the heart of the, the business of, of salvation. It's a releasing affected by a payment of a ransom. Uh, there have been many instances we know of where there has been uh, large sums of money that given as a ransom for, for children uh, and that sort of thing. Now... Uh, we see this word used in Matthew 20, 28, and Mark 10, 45, where Christ says in both, both passages that he, be, he came as a ransom for many. I'll read the Mark 10, 45. Pardon me? Mark 10, 45. It's also the same uh, uh, wording as in Matthew 20, 28. In Mark... 1045, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, and he did that, and that's that word, 
to loosen or to set free. Uh, it can mean a deliverance, and again, through the affected through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, from the retributive wrath of of a holy God and the merited penalty of sin. So we we have that, we we deserve that, and yet Christ through his death for us and our belief in him has paid the way so that we can we can be free and escape that wrath and the and the penalty that we deserve, the merited penalty. Romans three twenty four familiar with 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. But then in Hebrews 9.15, it talks about deliverance from the penalty of transgression. Hebrews 9.15 for this reason, he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of, eternal, of, an, of the eternal inheritance. So we have the deliverance from the penalty of the transgressions, or from the penalty of uh, sins. And then there's a final aspect of redemption, which is in the last day, which is the consummate liberation we experience from the the sin still lingering. Um, We continue to sin. That's why the Lord put 1 John 1, 9 in the scriptures, so that we have a way of dealing with it. Uh, And hopefully he keeps his conscience in our we don't get seared so that we know and we keep him short accounts with him. Um, but on that last day, then the liberation experience that we look forward to and from the all the ills and troubles of this life in Ephesians 4.30 speaks of that last day, freedom of that. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were re- sealed for the day of redemption. And that's a day yet future. He does not want us, of course, to grieve the Holy Spirit in any in any aspect. And uh, because He, the Holy Spirit, has sealed us for that day of redemption when we escape this and we come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.30, we see Christ as the author of redemption. He's the one who is, in every essence, has really defined it. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. It's not anybody else's doing, but his doing, that we are in him, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that he is our redemption, and he became that to us. And without him, then we could have no redemption whatsoever. In Ephesians, 
1 and the 14th verse, the Lord talks about a future redemption. Ephesians 1.14. You know, we better back up uh, to 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So that's a future day, and we're sealed there again by the Holy Spirit. Uh, with a whole picture in mind of that redemption of God's possession. Uh, it's not redemption of any other's possession, but of his. Uh, again, we go back to the idea that we have been bought. God has purchased us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, therefore, as believers in, in uh, the Lord Jesus, we are then his possession. In Romans 8.23, he tells us about the deliverance of the body from frailty and mortality. Romans 8.23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So that's a glorious day that we all have the privilege of looking forward to. Um, it will be an exciting day because John tells us in his first letter that um, on that day we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That will be an exciting time. In Luke 1, or 21... Uh, Luke 21, 28. We'll look at another passage in Luke while we're here, too. So, first of all, let's look at Luke 21, 28. He's talking about uh, end times. He's talking about the timing of things. He says, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. It's getting closer and closer. Uh, it's closer today than it was September 10th of this year. And it's closer today than it was yesterday. It's closer this evening than it was um, this morning. And we ought to be right excited about that, I think. Over in Luke 18:7 beginning actually in, in verse 6. Uh, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. Will, it, will he find faith on the earth? He told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And then he tells the story of the parable of uh, or the story of the Pharisee and the, and the tax gatherer and the pride of the Pharisee and the 
humbleness of the tax gatherer and, and pleading with God to have mercy on his soul. But there will be a deliverance then from hatred and persecutions. If we look at 2 Timothy 3.12, there's a tremendous promise there. Maybe it's a morbid, morbid way sort of to look at the thing, but there's a tremendous promise there. 2 Timothy 3. At verse 12, And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But even evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And what a promise that is. And maybe that's a, a thermometer. Um, you know, how is it? How are we received in the world? Are we really seeking to walk and to live godly lives in Christ Jesus? But that day will come when we'll be taken out of that, and that will be no more. And that's uh, uh, exciting. And that will happen, of course, whenever either the Lord takes us home to be with himself individually or the rapture of the church. Um, Now, there's another word that's derived of that first one that we talked about, the agorazo. It's called exagorazo which is to buy up or to buy back or to redeem. Figuratively, it is to rescue from a loss. Um, and we're certainly rescued from a loss, loss by our faith in Christ. Uh, we are certainly rescued from that. There would be great, great loss um, without Christ because we would be without God and without hope in this world and with no hope for eternity, except to be separated from the Lord. That comes, uh, this word comes out of two parts again, as many, many Greek words do. Uh, ex, which means uh, out of, from, or by, or away from. And the first word we talked about, agorazo, which is to buy in the marketplace. So it's to buy up out of the marketplace. It appears four times in Scripture. Uh, the first time in the in the context that we want to look at tonight would be in uh, Galatians 3:13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree The quote of uh, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree is from Deuteronomy 21:23. for those that are interested in, the, uh, in that passage of Scripture. Um, and then over in uh, Galatians 4, 5, read verse 4 as well. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So that was one of the main purposes, was that we would receive that adoption. And once we've been bought out of that slave marketplace that is alluded to here, we're not, we're no longer for sale. Uh, we can't really make a, an earthly sort of a, 
uh, an analogy because it breaks down very, very quickly. Um, but suppose I would go buy a car uh, and never to sell that car again. That would be the idea. It's just not available anymore. Well, maybe I do that a little bit. I've got a 14-year-old uh, Honda station wagon, so maybe, maybe I do <laughs> uh, that a little bit. I don't have any intention right now, for example, of selling our home, but that day may come depending upon what the Lord does and where he leads us and, and all the rest of that. But it's to uh, redeem by a payment of a price to recover from the power of another. And isn't that a beautiful picture of what's happened to us as we've received our freedom uh, in Christ? Uh, because he has, in a very real sense, taken us and recovered us from the power of another one. That is the enemy, Satan himself. He's done that for us. Um, we can see uh, Christ then freeing men from the dominion even of the, of the Mosaic law um, at the price of his vicarious death. But in a real sense, he purchased us out of that uh, power uh, of, of Satan. Um, I, you know, I, I seem like I'm all the time using my mother-in-law as an example, but she's a good example of, a, of an unbeliever. She would not for a moment believe that she was dominated or under the power of Satan. But she really is, uh, just simply because she's not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he probably doesn't have to do much in her life because she is, quite frankly, not very interested in spiritual matters. Um, matter of fact, she's gone so far to, to tell Beverly that heaven sounds like a very dull place. Uh, and she just doesn't grasp the, the whole concept. And about the time we think she does, she will tell us that she has um, all that arranged in her mind and she'll take care of this business of getting right with God on her deathbed. And she will have none of but... Mom, God didn't promise you that you would have a deathbed experience. He died. There's no commitment anywhere that he will allow us to do that. You know, All you have to do is witness the uh, young people that die in a car accident or something like that or um, so many ways that, that lives are ended. Uh, and she just won't grasp hold of that. And yet, she'll tell us, you know, I think you guys have got the answer to all of this. And, and she, but she's blinded by the enemy. Now, the same word is used in Ephesians 5.16 and in a similar verse in Colossians. But we'll look at the Ephesians 5.16. didn't look right. I had the wrong verse. I was looking at the 19th verse. It says in 15, Therefore, be, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Making the most of your time is redeeming the time in the uh, King James. Um, so it's the same, the same concept to buy 
to buy in the marketplace, to buy out of the marketplace. Uh, we've got precious little time. We had an interesting discussion around dinner tonight with our, with our daughter. She said, you know, she said, I had an opportunity at school today to witness, and I missed it. She said, these people were walking by, and she said, I just, they were gone before I grabbed hold of the idea of what I could say. Um, and what she could have said was, was fairly simple, and she thought she was the only person in the world that had ever had that experience. And I said, well, listen, I know there's at least one other person in the world that's had that experience, me. Uh, but she said it was so simple. And I said, yeah, that's the way it always is. I, 30 seconds, a minute, four minutes, five minutes, you always think of something. And she says, but you know what they were doing? And I said, no, what were they doing? And she says, well, it was a couple of girls walking along, and one was saying to the other, well, he goes to church. He reads the Bible, you know, in a condemning sort of a way. And she said, I should have said, well, what's wrong with that? And I said, yeah, that would have been a good question to ask, a good challenge. Um, and she said, well, is it wrong that I didn't ask it? I said, well, I don't suppose. I said, if you'd had it on the tip of your tongue and you deliberately held it back, then I said, May, that's, a, that's a problem. Uh, well, she says, you suppose Satan didn't want me to say that? And I said, you bet Satan didn't want you to say that because it could have led to a real opportunity to share the gospel with a couple of young women who were speaking in a condemning tone and whatnot of a, of a fellow student. And... Uh, I said, you may have had an opportunity to witness. I said, just be alert. I said, the first thing to recognize, the first thing in that whole process is to realize that that happens and then do whatever it takes to guard against it and just be a special, specially alert somehow so that you can seize the opportunities. But she was, she was pretty, uh, pretty down in the mouth that she had missed this opportunity. And I told her, I said, praise the Lord that you recognize that you missed an opportunity. If you couldn't have told me that story and you didn't recognize it, then that would be a wholly different kind of a problem. But I said, you recognized it, you talked about it, let's figure out a way that you can be alert and be on your toes. Not only that, maybe Dad can learn something by it too. Uh, and together, you know, we can become better and more effective in our witness to people. There's another verb that is translated redeeming or to redeem in the, in the New Testament. It occurs three times, and we'll look at each one of those. The word is latruo, L-U-T-R-O-O. That means, again, by paying a full ransom. And again, here's that facet that the, the, the full price was paid, and we don't have to worry about... Uh, there's something else to do, like many uh, people would believe, that not only do I have to have to accept that blood sacrifice, that death sacrifice of Christ on the cross for my sins, but there's there's got to be something else. Um, we had an opportunity uh, one Saturday morning. You talk about a, a divine appointment. I've never, I think I've never seen one quite like this. I had been... Uh, talking to Don Schmidt at his home. I uh, had to chat with him about something one Saturday morning, and I called and said, hey, can I come out? I need to chat with you a little bit. Sure, come on. 
and uh, had some stuff to give to them as well. And so I sort of killed two birds with one stone, as they say. And we had our time uh, discussing this particular issue and whatnot, and I'd handed off the materials to, to his wife, Betty, and the, um, went to leave, and we said, well, why don't we just pray before we leave? And we had a little time of prayer and, and uh, went out the door and talking about spiritual things and whatnot and uh, things here at Valley Church and so on. And we got to the gate uh, at Don's home at the front at the front gate, and I went through it, and Don kind of came on. And here came two young men from across the street, and they were dressed properly. They had uh, dress shirts on and slacks and sports coats and stuff, and were carrying... Uh, one had a briefcase, the other had a Bible or so with him, and and uh, I was heading for my car. I didn't catch the, the the young fellow with a Bible, and I thought, well, maybe they have something to sell or something, and I'm I'm just not buying stuff, so I'm not. And I heard them just as I was reaching for my car door say, "Do you read the Bible?" <laughs> I turned so fast on my heels, and I went right back and joined this. Uh, this discussion, and we had a young man there, two young men that were uh, from one of the uh, cults, and they started referencing James. Well, they didn't understand that a year or a year and a half ago, we'd gone through a study in James with Bob Cosby, and in our Sunday school class now with Don Flood, we're going through James again. So it's firmly fixed in my mind where James talks about faith and works, that he's talking about works that can grow out of your faith. And they were twisting it around and saying, but you have to work. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand what the Scripture says. What the Scripture says that if you have faith, and out of that faith does not come works in terms of what you're doing for the Lord and your involvement in that way, then that faith is dead. That is not real faith. I said, you know, I don't have to work for that. I don't have to have faith and work, but my faith is demonstrated by my works. And, of course, they couldn't put the two concepts together, and I pleaded with them. I said, when you study the Scripture, please be sure to study the Scripture in context so that you're looking at at least a whole paragraph kind of a uh, grouping of verses so that you can ha see what the whole thing is. Don't pull verses out of context because you'll get the wrong message. You can make the Bible say almost anything you want to say. Uh, I clipped something out of one of these daily bread things some years back that was talking about the dangers of Bible dipping. And it said, basically, the uh, it was showing the dangers of that. And it said, you know, you can look at the Bible, and if you get involved really in this so-called Bible dipping, you can show where the Bible says, Judas went out and hanged himself, therefore go and do see yourself likewise, by taking two verses that are far, far apart and putting them together. And I, you know, you just don't want to do that because you'll get into, you'll get into trouble in understanding what God has for you. Well, this word uh, for redeemed has been translated in the Septuagint in Numbers 18:15, as uh, uh, as we see there in, in Numbers 18:15, it says that. Um,
Every issue of the woman of all flesh, whether man or of animal, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And then over in verse 17, But the firstborn of an ox, and the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, and shall offer up their fat. And the smoke is an offering of fire for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Same word for redeemed. And then over in in First Peter, where we looked earlier, we see the word again translated redeemed. First Peter one eighteen says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now that again talks about this matter of being done in a point of time. It's been completed. It's a completed act. Uh, act. Uh, it's a passive uh, use of the word, which means that we receive the benefit. We receive the benefit of the action. And it's just a, a tremendous concept that Christ did all the work and all the <clears throat> all of the other, and we're the ones that receive the, the, the tremendous benefits um, of that uh, completed work. It's also used in Titus 2.14 and Luke 24.21. Then another word that we've mentioned before, we've seen it part of the, an earlier word, is lutrosis. It's a noun. It means, uh, again, redemption or ransoming. Used three times. Speaks of deliverance and redemption. And in Hebrews 9.12, it speaks specifically of the redemption from the penalty of sin. Hebrews 9.12 says, It's not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Again, it's, a, it's an interesting study to go through Hebrews, Hebrews and see where Christ has used the word once for all, once for all, once for all. It just appears again and again and again. Uh, very, very interesting uh, study to do. So there's a kind of a threefold classification of this business of redemption or having been redeemed. It includes the whole world and is sufficient for the whole world. It's sufficient not only for those that have gone before us, but those that are yet to come. Uh, there's on the earth now, what, some five billion people, and it's sufficient for every one of those people, this redemption. There's no question about that. It's specific in its position to which the saved one is brought. That is, we're brought into the family of God. We're brought into his presence. And then in the sort of the ultimate end, on that day of Christ, the redemption of the body of the believer occurs. And that's the day that we all eagerly await, I think. Um, 
So there's about seven facets of this matter that we've seen. One would be the fact that it is purchased in the marketplace at a full price. It's liberation. It's a buying back. It's being rescued from a loss. The full ransom is paid. We've seen that again and again and again, that Christ did pay the full ransom for us, that we have complete deliverance, and that we have the, the redemption from the penalty of sin, which perhaps is one of the most important characteristics because the penalty of sin is, is eternal separation from God. And we have that taken care of in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we uh, were certainly a needy people and he saw to it that that need was cared for because of his love and grace. But he did that through his justice uh, and through his holiness. He had to had to have it paid for, else he would not be the holy God that he is. He would not be the just God that he is. And we thank him for it. Uh, we can't do enough or say enough of thanksgiving to him and worship him enough for that. So thank you very much. Next week, Pastor will be back on item four, and I don't know what what is next, but he will take off there then. So let's uh, close in prayer. Father, thanks for this time, and we rejoice in who you are. Thanks again for the marvelous redemption that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you praise and honor and glory for it, and we just uh, can't, in human terms, thank you enough. But we do praise you for it, and we would go from this place rejoicing in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ because he's the one that's worthy. We pray that we would be obviously rejoicing, uh, that people would, would ask us, why do we rejoice in such turmoil? And Father, cause us to be those that would be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us at all times, at a moment's notice. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.